Welcome, Thrive Church. I want to welcome all of you this morning. I want to welcome uh, those who are watching us in the 715 area code online. We are so glad that you chose to connect with us this morning. And uh, we do. We have a great team. And, uh, and thank you for, for your encouraging response this morning. Uh, we really do ha- have a phenomenal team. We really want to move forward uh, at Thrive Church with a team concept. And maybe you're beginning to notice that teams are beginning to be formed here. And one of the, the teams that I'm excited, a couple of teams that I am looking to, to have, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, myself and other staff members have been greeting you outside in the parking lot because we, I just, I don't know, I think it's kind of stuffy and to just greet people inside. We want to greet people inside, but we want to go outside. We want to, we want to go to where people are at. And, uh, and so I, I'm going to challenge some of you to just really seek the Lord and say, God, am I supposed to be on that team? Am I supposed to be a part of just greeting people, uh, to be the first one to greet people? If that's you, if you have the mindset, I want to be the first one to greet people as they come in on Sunday mornings, I want to have a conversation with you. But not only that, uh, we do believe in the power of prayer. And we want to start injecting into our services a time for people to be prayed for, for, for needs, special needs in their life. And, uh, and so if that is you, if you are here today, and I love to pray with people. I love to pray with people and encourage them. Then I, I would like for you to talk to this young lady right over here. Wave your hand, Sandy, Sandy Wall. Just wave your hand and go talk to this young lady at the end of the service and say, I love to pray with people. I love to pray for people. And she will help uh, set that up because we're moving forward. That is a theme for this year because we are a church that is, we've committed ourselves to lead people in Jesus' name through the power of the Holy Spirit to become life-giving followers of Jesus. How many of you, that is your mission this morning? Please give me a shout out if that is your mission this morning. Thank you, God. So how about this new wineskin we got going on here? Isn't this wonderful? Yes. I want you, yes, yeah, keep, keep, I want you to give yourselves a hand because of your faithfulness and, and your giving. You help make this happen. So I want to give a shout out to you this morning. Yes. And, and I'm going to ask you, you'll be patient with us. As, you know, we just kind of want you to, to, to let this be a, a theme here or just a visual that we're not done yet here. And so we got a little work that we're going to do on the stage. This is not the finished product here. Just wanted to clarify that who are wondering. And, uh, and so uh, just be patient with us as we can make sure that we plan that out. You know, it is tough. I don't know how many business owners out there, but it's been a tough, a tough go at it here the past few months, hasn't it? The past year, year and a half, it's been a rough season here. And, and there's some business leaders who really have to come up with some unique ideas on how to get customers into their business. And so I heard about this one business owner, and uh, a guy moved in right next to her, a very, uh, a very similar type shop, and, and opened up right next to him. And he was really worried because he came in that first day, and he noticed a great big sign, and that sign read, Best Deals. The best deals. And that, that kind of made him nervous. Well, the next day he found out that there's another guy, another business, very similar to his own, that is opening up on the other side. And he walks in the day, that, that first day of business, and he sees a sign that says, lowest prices. 
And the guy is just panicked. What am I going to do? I got this guy who's got the best deals, and I got this guy who's got the lowest prices. He just thought and thought, and he said, I got an idea. So he called up the, the guy who makes signs, and he had a bigger, twice the size of all the other signs made. And he had it put up on the top of his store, and on the top of his store, or the front entrance, it said, main entrance. Okay. I don't know what that has to do with anything. I just felt <laughs> you needed to either be humored by me or by that joke here. I want to encourage you to follow along in the, in the sermon notes. You just get so much more out of this message, especially this sermon series we've entitled Questions. Questions. And there's a lot of good questions that have been coming my way. Thank you very much, Brent, for some of the questions you brought my way. People are asking. They want to know. They want to know. What are, give, me, give me the answers to these questions about faith in God. And I just want us to be prepared as we talk about this. This sermon series has been kind of our theme verse, and I just want you to be prepared. Some things we will not fully understand and grasp here on this earth. And I want you to know I'm okay with that. I, I, I want to grow. I want to learn. Okay, I want to be teachable. But I've come to the conclusion there are some things I'm never going to understand. And Isaiah, God prophesies through his prophet Isaiah, and he even tells us, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, I don't know if I want to serve a God who I have it all figured out. I don't want to have them all figured out. Because he is God and I am not. So we've been addressing many questions. I really, uh, it seemed like I had fun last week as we talked about uh, the truth of God's word. And, and I, hope, I hope you've been growing through this sermon series. But today, we're going to talk about a very important topic. We're going to deal with the Jesus question. The Jesus question. Is Jesus who he says that he is? So right now, we're just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and speak to us loud and clear. We pray that your voice is the loudest voice in this room, that we would have open ears and open hearts and open minds to all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So how do we know? How do we know Jesus was who he says he was? How do we know this? Well, history is full of books of, of, that acknowledge this man, of, that he existed some 2,000 years ago. It, it's interesting to find that many of, the, of today's world's, world's religions will recognize that Jesus was this great godly man. And what's, if you find this, this is even more interesting. These world religions will recognize Jesus, but never throughout the Gospels do you see Jesus acknowledge any of the world's religions you see, after Jesus acknowledges his own deity, he then looks at his disciples. And I believe that he's looking at us today. And he's asking us the question. We all have to ask ourselves this question. Who do you say I am? Jesus is asking you today. Who is this Jesus? Have you solidified that in your heart? I'm telling you, if you're here today or you're watching online and you are looking for peace... Peace is found in the answer to this question. So, so I ask you this morning, what, who do you say that he is today? So let's start 
with Jesus' claims. And I'm going, to be th- I'm going to be talking through the passages here. If you're n- not familiar with the Bible, it's kind of split in half. There is the Old Testament and then there is the New Testament. And if you go just a little bit more than halfway, you're going to see these, um, these books of the Bible called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the Gospels. This is the story of Jesus written by four representatives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And in these passages, or in these books, you'll see that Jesus made some claims about himself. And the first claim that he made about himself, John 20, 28, Jesus is speaking to Doubting Thomas. How many of you have heard of Doubting Thomas? How many of you know who Doubting Thomas is? Remember, Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again, and he appeared before his disciples. And some of the disciples saw Jesus before all the others, and they went back to tell Thomas. And Thomas was like, I doubt it. I doubt it. How many of you know a doubting Thomas in your life? He doubt everything. I doubt it. I doubt it. And then Jesus <laughs> comes into the room, and he begins to speak to doubting Thomas. Now, how many of you would know you, you, your, your paradigm shift would be a little bit different if you saw a dead man walking? If you saw a dead man, you just saw this man die a few days earlier, it, it would just kind of change your paradigm a little bit. And this is Thomas's response. He says, my Lord and my, my God. You are my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe me without seeing me. Jesus did not correct Thomas when he acknowledged him as God. There was no correction. Like, no, 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 Thomas. No, 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 no. I'm just a good prophet. I'm just, I'm just a really good godly man. He didn't say that. It's well done for acknowledging that, Thomas. It's about time. It's about time. Jesus was saying to him, Thomas, I am who you say that I am. Then you fast forward to Thomas's life. Remember, again, doubting Thomas. Did you know that doubting Thomas, his life was changed at that moment? And we know that he soon became a missionary. Why would you become a missionary to something that wasn't true? More more importantly, why would you go off to a strange land for something that wasn't even true? No, 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 no. Even more importantly, why would you allow yourself to become a martyr for something and someone who wasn't true? Something changed Thomas that day. It was the resurrection of Jesus. Second of all, Jesus proclaims that he is the Son of God. And this is, he, he often would refer to himself as the Son of God. as one of those names that he gave to himself. He referred to him. In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus asked his disciples, he, again, he says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, he answered him, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Not only did did, did God reveal it to you, but you, Peter, you have seen the evidence of that. You've seen the evidence. Have you seen the evidence of Jesus in your life? The third proclamation that Jesus made is that he is one with the Father. John 10, 30, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. You know what he's saying here? And I mentioned this last week. He's saying this. Have you ever just wondered about God? And we talked about God here a few weeks, a few weeks ago. 
And, and, and sometimes it's just so hard, like the prophet Isaiah, he say, yeah, I mean, we can't even comprehend. And Jesus is saying, I, I love how he does this. He can, let me simplify this for you. If you're wondering about who God is, just look at me. Just look at me. If you want to know the character of God, the attributes of God, look at me. Look at me. Now, this, this is kind of interesting here, right? and I, I need to just pause, okay? I'm going to pause here and explain this because it, it seems a little, a little confusing. What's, what's going on here, right? The son of, uh, he, he's the son of God. He's one with the Father. Right? And, and there's this theological term, and I'm sure many of you have heard about it, and it, it's still kind of complicated to explain here, but the word is called trinity, how many of you have heard of that word, Trinity? Okay, and and so, and I've tried to look this up and like, well, what are some easy ways to explain the Trinity? You know, there's three in one, and, and one of the illustrations that I found is an apple, and I forgot to bring my my apple illustration here this morning. But just imagine I'm holding an apple, and you have the skin of the apple. Okay, that's one part of it, and then you have the inner parts, kind of the meat of the apple, and then you have the core. It is all an apple, but it's three parts in one. Now, okay, that's ultra simplistic here, but I, I want to go a little personal. I want to go, go a little bit personal here and, and, and maybe help us understand this, this idea. What is the Trinity, the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Just put that picture up here and, and keep it up there. Isn't that a good-looking guy on the left there? That's a good look. And the guy on the right is my dad, my dad, Sam. And uh, my dad's been passed away close to 10 years now. And, and I just think, you know, when I think about the Trinity, I, I think about my dad. Now, I'm not putting my dad up in the Godhead or anything here, but, but follow me on this here. So I, when I, I think about my dad, he was, in my, in my growing up years, he was three persons to me. First of all, he was father who had a part in bringing me into the world. And I'm not going to explain any more. That would be TMI, right? <laughs> Too much information. But, but as, I, as I grew up, I soon learned that, that, that father is also rule maker and he is disciplinarian. He is the authority in the house because he is dad and life went so much better when I acknowledged him as dad and not myself. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All the fathers out there, we just children, understand life goes much, so much better when he is dad and you are not. Okay? So there's father. He was my father growing up. And he had four boys and he knew how to apply discipline. All right, next page here. But not only this, well, not only was he was my father, but I, I would say he was my grace. He was my grace. My dad was a, a big, strong man, and, but in times he was just full of grace. There were times that I truly deserved his discipline, and instead of getting his discipline, I received his loving arms of grace, and I received his compassion. And there were often times that I made decisions and choices, especially as I became a teenager, that what my, I, it, it costs some money. <laughs> there were some choices that I made, maybe in an accident or two, 
and, and instead of me paying for it, he paid the price for it. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He paid the price for our sins. Instead of giving me judgment, he gave me love. He gave me grace. And so my dad, he was my father, but he was also my grace. But also later, especially later in years, he became a counselor for me. You know, I would, growing up, when, you, when you're younger, you're just, yeah, my parents, they don't know much. They're so old-fashioned, and it seems like the older you get, the more, you know, they kind of know a thing or two. <laughs> and uh, I just remember times, that, I'm going to call my dad and see what he would do. And he'd, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do, son, but if I were you, I would do this. And I would, you know, you want to think, you want to pray about that. You want to you take your time and make a wise decision. Are you following me here this morning? And I hope, I hope and pray you had a father like that in your home. And I, I kind of see this as, the, as it is with the, with the Trinity. We have Father God, our creator, who, who gave to us the Ten Commandments and said, listen, they, these commandments are not to control you, but to, gi- to give you a blessed life. But if you cross these lines, there is discipline. There will be consequences for those choices. But then Christ came into, into the world, and he gave to us grace, and he paid the price for our sins. And then he says, I'm gonna, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to give you encouragement. He's going to embolden you. He's going to be a counselor for you this morning. I hope that that kind of brings clarity to this understanding of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. One one last claim that Jesus made about himself, and my favorite, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. A Messiah is a a person who is expected to save people from a very, very bad situation. Anybody grow up and they were a lifeguard for a swimming pool or a lake? Any lifeguards out there? Okay, no lifeguards in a house, okay, uh, some of you learned to swim the hard way, I guess. Um, but, but a lifeguard, it is their assignment to, to just sit there and to hover over the pool and to be in watch in case anybody is drowning and, and they're losing their life. And their responsibility is to jump in and to save somebody. They, they become that person's Messiah, their only way out to live. And that's what Jesus was to the people in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament times, they would prophesy, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to save us. And we know that the, the, the Israelites, uh, the Jews, they are under horrible oppression by the Romans and they were looking for a Messiah to come and deliver them. And Jesus showed up. And he proclaimed that he was the Messiah. But the Jews had a very difficult time with this because he was not the Messiah that they were looking for. They were looking for somebody who would save them from Roman oppression. Jesus came to set them free from the oppression of Satan and and our sins. John 4.25, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. I love this story in the gospel the woman in Samaria, she is someone, and maybe, maybe this is you today, this describes you, you're watching online today, someone who desperately needs to be delivered from their sin. And Jesus is talking with her. He meets her right where he is. The woman said, 
she said, and they're having this, this discussion about the Messiah, and she said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. He's the anointed one of God. I know one day he's going to come because she knew her Old Testament prophecy. And I know one day he's going to come. And listen to Jesus' response. And she says, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am that Messiah. I am he. So, so again, these are some really bold proclamations that Jesus made about it. I'm God. I'm the son of God. I am one with the Father. I am the Messiah. We can have our ushers help me with this. You can just uh, adjust the temperature, a little warmer stuffy in here, or maybe it's just me. <laughs> but not only that, and if you'll look in your, in your sermon notes here this morning, and I encourage you, we're not going to go through all of these here, but there's these parts where Jesus, he goes further, and he, he makes this proclamation, and he says, I am. And when you make an I am statement back in those days, you are, you're saying the, the, uh, the, the verbiage back then is I am God. I am, and he would say, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, the, the, the door for the sheep. And, and he makes these bold proclamations about himself. C.S. Lewis is a well-known Christian apologist uh, uh, in, in the 40s, in the 1940s and 50s, and an intellectual of the 20th century. Through his younger years was a devout atheist. The more he learned, the more he, he wanted to become an atheist. But through the friendship, there's power in friendships. Through the friendships of some Christians and discussions that he had, he realized that Jesus really was who he said that he was. And he surrendered his life to, to Jesus. And he says this in regards to people's views of Jesus. Let me read this to you. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's what some people say. That is one thing we must not say. A man who has, was merely a man and said that these sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level of, uh, with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. C.S. Lewis says there's really only four possibilities about this Jesus that, that we proclaim. He says that the, one of the possibilities was Jesus was not real. He was just a legend. He was a myth made up by great storytellers. Josh McDowell, a, a great apologist of today, wrote a book called A Ready Defense. And in his research, he discovered that there are at least, and this was written back in the, in the, in the 90s, he said there's at least 19 early pagan scholars who referred to Jesus as a legitimate, real-life historical figure. I mean, these are people that we go to today. Historians go to these people as legitimate resources, and these 19 people said, oh, by the way, this Jesus guy, it's legit. He really was a historical figure. He, he's not a myth. He's not a legend. He's for real. I talked about this man last week, this gentleman by the name of Tacitus. Tacitus was this, this man way back in the earlier centuries, and he started to write as he observed Rome. He, he was a great Roman historian. 
and even this great Roman historian that we go to today as a resource. If we want to learn about Rome, you read Tacitus. And even him, this great historian, writes and proclaims about Jesus and and the Christian uh, influence on Rome on those days. It was not a myth. It was not a legend. C.S. Lewis says, well, if he, wasn't, if he wasn't a legend, then he would have to be a liar. A liar is someone who shares misinformation for their own benefit. That's why people lie. They don't want to get into trouble or else they want to gain something. That's why people lie. They make things up. And, and we've all discovered this. When we find out that somebody is lying to us, we really we have a hard time following that person in the future. They have, they have, they've shown themselves to not have integrity. And so that, that, that's what's kind of on the line here. And, and so you can understand people who have not believed in Jesus for all these years, all they have to do is just research, 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 and find in here. We're going to find that he was lying. And you know that that has happened. Researchers have studied this book inside and out just to find even the slightest of lies to say, see, he was a liar. He wasn't. And if he lied about this, he lied about that. One of the great major claims about Jesus. He wasn't God, but he was a great moral teacher. Now, now you think about that. That kind of contradicts herself. How can he be a great moral teacher, a great moral teacher. One of the, the, the most foundational things that they would talk about is don't lie. That's what a moral teacher would do because everything they would be, that they would teach you would be founded on truth. Do not lie. That's what moral teachers talk about. And wouldn't that be, if Jesus was a great moral teacher, wouldn't it be such a great contradiction if he, in fact, was lying himself? If Jesus intentionally made these incredible claims about himself and he knew that it was false, this would make him one of the greatest liars this world has ever known. Do you ever think about that? He'd be one of the greatest liars. In fact, not only would he be one of the greatest liars who ever lived, but he would be one of the biggest fools who ever lived. Follow me on this one. If Jesus was really lying, his purpose was to get people to follow him. So why? If if that was his game, if I could just get all these people to believe in me, why in the world would he go to a Jewish culture like Jerusalem where these people are firm in their commitment and one and one only God? Why, Why would they even go to a place? Why not, instead of going to Jerusalem, why not go to a place like Greece? Greece, where they, they believe in many gods. And like, yeah, 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 we like what you're selling. Yeah, come along. Or, 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 or why, not, why not go to a place like Egypt? Yeah, that's just not too far away. They believe in many gods, and you would gain popularity there. But instead, Jesus went to Jerusalem, and he was not a fool. He was not a liar. Some C.S. Lewis said, well, then maybe he was a lunatic. And a lunatic is this, somebody who is mentally ill. Now, for us today, just imagine somebody came in, walked into the auditorium, and they had a black suit, and 
maybe his pants pulled up a little bit in an old age suit, a bow tie, and a real tall stovetop hat. Big, thick beard coming down here, and he walked up the platform, excuse me, I'd like to talk to everybody. My name is Abraham Lincoln. And, and you would do what, you're, you, what you kind of did right there. You would chuckle, right? You, you would... <laughs> And pastor's letting him play along. Go ahead, Abe, uh, go ahead and talk to us right now. And we would all kind of roll our eyes and like, well, tell us what you have to say to us. And we, <laughs> right? But, it, but that's kind of what it was like. Jesus comes into the, to the world and says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. And you can understand that like, people thought, uh, he's a lunatic. This is a pretty big claim. Not only is he a lunatic, and he gets up and he makes a presentation to us, and he says, not only that, your belief in who I say that I am, it affects your eternal destiny. And it would get you wondering. It would get you thinking there. There's a psychiatrist by the name of J.T. Fisher man who studies things like this, and he studied this thing about Jesus, and he studied his writings about whether he, you know, and, and whether he was really a lunatic or not. And, and again, this man, this is a secular writer, a secular psychiatrist, and he says this. He says, if you were to take the sum total of all the authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified of psychologists and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene, and if you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you have an awkward and incomplete summation of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you just caught what I said here. But he said, if you were to take all these great writings and everything that anybody said that was great and a great moral teaching, and you would put them all together, all these things, that man, it still wouldn't even compare to what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, does that equate somebody who is mentally or emotionally unstable? And he says here about the Word of God, he says, here rests a blueprint for successful human life with optimism, mental health, and contentment. In here, again, a secular writer, in the Word of God, in the Gospels of Jesus, is where you will find the peace that you're looking for. This does not sound like a lunatic to me. In fact, the next equation is that if he's, if he's not a liar and not a legend and not a lunatic, then maybe he is who he said he is. He is Lord. Some people say, well, why would so many eyewitness people who were with Jesus, they saw his life and his death on a cross, why would they allow themselves to be persecuted and tortured? If he, if he was a liar, if he was a lunatic, there was even a hint of it, why would they allow themselves to be persecuted or martyred even in the Roman Colosseums? Jesus says this, John 10, 38, he says, but if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So what are his credentials? As we look through the Gospels, what are his credentials? How did he prove himself? I mean, it's, it's one thing to make a proclamation, I am this and I am that. 
What was the work? What was the evidence of that? Here's a couple of the evidence. First of all, he was a man without sin. Peter, one of his disciples, was with Jesus all the time. He was like that puppy, that lost puppy, following him everywhere he went, watching him, listening to him, acknowledging him. In 1 Peter 2.22, he says this. He said, he never sinned. In all the years I followed him, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Not only did Jesus preach holiness, he lived holiness. He lived as that Messiah. And then Jesus, as he's, he's confronting his accusers, he asked the question in John 8.46. He says, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? I mean, he says it. He addresses the elephant in the room. And he says, which one of you can accuse me of sin? You know the sound that they made? Crickets. Crickets. His second second attribute, we see his supernatural power. I love this. I love this part. You see, he demonstrated his power to mankind in the natural forces. In the natural forces, this could only be God. I love this story. Mark 4, 41, we talked about this story where Jesus calms a storm of his disciples. And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Remember, they're in the boat and they're about to drown. And somebody gets the idea, maybe we should wake up Jesus and tell him that he's going to drown too. And Jesus wakes up, calms a storm. Says here, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? <laughs> Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What would you think? These disciples, that, that first wedding party that they go to, and he turns the water into wine. They're, they're with that, those, that large crowd of people, and everybody's getting cranky because they're hungry. Some of you, your stomachs are grumbling right now. Come on, Pastor, speed it up, speed it up. 5,000 people. Jesus feeds with, with five loaves and two fishes. And then as they're walking through the streets, people come to him and say, my daughter, my daughter has died. And Jesus raises the daughter from the dead. You see, when you, you look at the, when you look through the Gospels, you see stories like this. In fact, the religious leaders, they wanted to kill him because of these stories. People are going to believe in him. It says here in John eleven forty eight. 48, it says, if we, let go, if, we let him, if, if we let him go on like this, they said, everyone will believe in him. Isn't that crazy? The third part we know is that he had power over sickness and disease. He healed incurable diseases. He helped the lame walk, the mute speak, and the blind to see. I, I love the story in John 9, and, and, the, and the Pharisees are confronting this man. as like, what happened? What did he do? What, what, tell us exactly what happened. And he says, I don't know what happened, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. I met this Jesus guy, and he changed everything. And then, then the healed man said this. He says, isn't it interesting? Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. 
Not only, listen to me, not only does Jesus, did he heal in the Bible, I want to tell all of you today, Jesus still heals today. And whatever you're going through, yeah, you can respond to that. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. I love this one. It's the resurrected from the dead. Jesus claimed many times how he would die and that three days later that he would rise from the dead. This would be his greatest test because who does that? Who does that? Who comes back from the grave some three days later? But Paul proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. He is not dead. He is alive. Even today, he is alive. And on the third day, just as the scripture said, and then Paul gives the evidence. He goes, here's the evidence. You don't believe me? Ask these 500 people. He says, he was seen by Peter, then by the 12, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers, most of whom are still alive. So they're still alive. You don't believe me? Go ask him. Oh, go ask him. Go ask him. He keeps showing up, and it's just the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen a dead man walking until I met Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Paul tells us this. He says, here's the deal. It all falls on this. It all falls on this. If Christ has not been raised, then, then all of our preaching is loose, useless and your faith is useless. It's all in vain. If Christ has not risen from the dead, we're just having a good time together this morning. And there was a man in their, in their early 80s, an atheist journalist by the name of Lee Strobel, irritated as all get out because his wife came home and declared that she had become a Christian. Oh, <laughs> just irritated to all, and it's affecting their marriage. And she, the more, the more he bucks the system, the more she falls in love with Jesus, and she's growing in love with Jesus. And so he's like, I'm a journalist. You know what I'm going to do? I know how to research, and I'm going to study this Jesus guy. And I'm going to go after the one subject, because if I can prove this part wrong, then I've, I've defunct all of Christianity, so he studied and researched and studied and researched the resurrection of Jesus. The It's all a scam. It's all made up. It's all made up. And the more he researched, the more he studied, the more he realized he was wrong. And he had to eventually swallow his pride and eventually acknowledge Jesus really did Rise from the dead. And then he had, he had to begin to ask that question, who is he to me? What does that mean for me? And we know that Lee Strobel gave his life to Jesus Christ. This atheist journalist who did not believe in God gave his life to Jesus in that moment. And then he became an apologist and wrote one of the greatest apologetic books, The Case for Christ. It's out there today. A great read on the existence of Jesus in the resurrection. Why is this so important? Jesus tells us in, seven, in John 17, 3, and this is the way, listen to me. If you're asleep, wake up right now. And this is the way to have eternal life. 
If, you, if you're just now paying attention, if you're just now turned in, in tune, this, this is a great point to catch. If you're here today, you want to have eternal life. In other words, you want to be saved. You recognize that this Jesus guy, he talks about a place called heaven. He talks a place about a place called hell. And these are eternal destinies. And our eternal destiny is chosen while we are here on earth. We make that decision. And Jesus says, if you would like to have eternal life, eternal life. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you. Underline that word, know. To know you, the only true God. And who? Who? Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Your salvation, because he is who he says he is, the Messiah, is all based on your knowing Jesus. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. I, I just want to make sure I clarify knowing. When you look at the Greek word know, kenosko. I hope I said that right. I butcher the Greek all the time. Kenosko. <laughs> to know is to, three, three parts to this know, is to have knowledge of him. How many of you have knowledge of Jesus this morning? All right, you're on track. You're on track. But then there is to know means to have understanding. So I know Jesus, and I understand, like we talked about this morning, who he says that he is. I understand his claims. I understand that he did rise from the grave. I not only know about him, but I have an understanding that salvation is found in him alone. Please don't stop there. There's so many people who have stopped right there. I know about him, and I understand him. Oh, my word, go the next mile, please, because that's where salvation is found. Salvation is found when I know him, when I come into connection with him, when I open the door of my heart and say, God, come in and live with me. I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus as your Lord? as your Savior. Not just have a knowledge of Him, not just have an understanding of Him, but do you know Him? C.S. Lewis said this, you must make your choice. Each and every one of us, we are not forced into our faith. It's a decision. It is a choice that we make. And the choice that we make here on this earth affects our eternal destiny. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. So again, the question is asked, who, Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? I want to enter into a time of communion. 
And we serve an open communion here at Thrive Church. If you have not received a communion cup, will you please raise your hand right now? You'd like to participate in communion. Our ushers see your hand, and they're, they're, they're finding you right now. They're coming to give you a cup. We serve an open communion, and what that means is you do not need to be a member of Thrive Church, okay? All right, we're excited about that. The real issue, the real question is, I go back to, do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Are you living in connection with him right now? And if you are not, this, that, that's fine, that is fine, but you can make that decision right here, right now. Those who are watching online, you can make that decision to make this Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Are you ready to do that? Just bow with me right now. It's as easy as this. The most powerful words that you can pray is, God, I need you. Just say that right now. God, I need you. I surrender to the fact that you are who you say you are. I want to have more than a knowledge of you. I want to have more than an understanding of you. I want to know you as my Lord and my Savior today. Come and live inside of me and forgive me. I'm choosing today to make you Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Are you ready to take communion? And what communion is? is the remembrance because I don't know about you but I sometimes forget things Jesus didn't ever want us to forget who he is what he did for you for your salvation he didn't want us to forget he is the Messiah and his work for us on the cross and so we hold together the piece the bread and the bread Jesus said it represents my body just, just close your eyes and just imagine his body being laid down on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. You took my place, and I don't ever want to forget that. Just right now, all of us say, thank you, God. Let's all partake together. Jesus took the cup of wine. He says this wine, it represents the blood that will be spilled for you. Oh my Lord, thank you. You went to the cross and you, you bled from your wrist, from your feet, from your side, from your back, from your forehead. Lord, you paid the ultimate price for my sins and life is found in the blood. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that sets us free and we thank you that you did not stay dead but you rose from the dead and you are alive today and because of that I have new life in Jesus and so I thank you thank you just say thank you God right now thank you God let's all partake together thank you God can we just put our cup down and just give God praise this morning thank you Jesus you are who you say you are I just want to I just want to just encourage you. Opportunities show up for us to share this message of Jesus with others. 
I want you to pray for opportunities. This past week, a young gentleman came into the building, and I was back doing something, supervising the pantry, right? <laughs> right, Alice? I was supervising back there. It needs supervision. <laughs> uh, and a gentleman, gentleman came back, was just looking for something. Like, hey, can I talk with you? Yeah, he's, I'm just looking for answers. My mom just passed away, looking for answers. Young 27-year-old man. And I suggested maybe the answer he's looking for is Jesus. And, I, and God gave me the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with this man. And, and I said, would you like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He goes, I suppose we're about to do that, aren't we? And I said, yeah, let's, let's just do that. Let's seal the deal. Prayed with that young man. I believe that that moment, that young man's destiny, eternal destiny, was, it was changed forever. Amen? And all of heaven rejoiced. So you're just finding out about that. Can we just rejoice with heaven for that salvation? And I, I, I just think that maybe what we need to do is just look for people who are looking. And maybe suggest to them, maybe the thing that you're looking for is Jesus. Amen. So Lord, we just give you honor and praise for this day. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you are who you say you are. That you, that you do what you say you're going to do. And that we have an eternal future with you through Christ Jesus. And so Lord, we pray that as we walk out today, we will walk in connection with you in new life, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God another shout out this morning. God, we give you praise.